Welcome back to the Anxiety Slayer podcast. I'm Shan Vanderleek here today with Stephen C. Hayes, and I am thrilled to have a conversation with him. We're going to be talking about how you can learn to pivot toward what matters and liberate your mind. Stephen C. Hayes is the Nevada Foundation Professor at the Department of Psychology at the University of Nevada, an author of 38 books and more than 540 scientific articles. He's shown his research how language and thought leads to human suffering and has developed acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a powerful therapy method that is useful in a wide variety of areas. His popular book, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life, was featured in Time Magazine along with several other major media outlets and for a time was the number one best-selling self-help book in the United States. If you have a chance, after listening to this conversation today, you, you can also find his TEDx talk on YouTube, and I highly recommend that you watch that as well. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the Anxiety Slayer podcast. I'm glad to be here with you. I'm glad to have you here. It was a pleasure finding you. I'm grateful to your uh, publicist for reaching out, and I'd like to start our conversation today with how you defined or define the essence of psychological flexibility? Well, it's being able to feel your feelings without needless defense, to think your thoughts with uh, enough of a gap that you can see them for what they are and you're not immediately entangled with them. And then with that little bit of separation, enough that you can sort of be open to your own experience to come into the present moment, inside and out, and notice what's possible. Notice what's going on, and to do that consciously from this part of you that isn't just the, the story you tell or the persona you put on, but the, the kind of more observing or transcendent part of you, this more spiritual part of you, conscious part of you, a purely aware part of you, and then be able to allocate your attention in a way that's flexible and fluid and voluntary and fits what you're trying to do towards really would bring meaning and purpose to your life here. What, what do you want to be about? What are you up to? What, what do you care about? What are the qualities that you want to put into your next life moments? And then to build habits of doing that. So even when you're not watching, when you're kind of going semi-mindless, that you can trust that you have habits of values-based action instead of habits of avoidance or of entanglement with thought or uh, trying to be right or prove how great and grand you are or other things that you probably don't really want to be about anyway, but the mind pulls you into doing. Mm. In area after area after area, if you mismanage what I just said, your life heads in a negative direction. Positive part of you manage it, it heads in a positive direction. So really this new book is about both dealing with anxiety, depression, all those kinds of things, but also living a life worth living and um, seeking out a you know, a more joyful life in which you get to be whole and free. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading A Liberated Mind, and I'm grateful that, you, that you've written it. Uh, and before we dig into the book a little bit, I think I'd like to start with acceptance and commitment therapy and, and talk a little bit about what that is and how it can support our listeners who often struggle with anxiety attacks and health anxiety. Those two are the the top of the line for the last 10 years that come forward. You know, Shannon and Nanga, how, how can we 
how can we change this? And, and I know that psychological flexibility is a part of that and that ACT is a part of that and would love your thoughts there. Yeah. ACT is um, a therapy. It's also a training method. We call it acceptance and commitment training when we're doing it in business and organizations and things okay. like that. Because the, the core message is just being a human being. It doesn't have to just be in a therapy and psychotherapy uh, context, but we've spent about 40 years now developing a set of methods that move psychological flexibility. Turns out we're not the only ones. A lot of the evidence-based therapies that are out there, empirically supported ones, actually move some of these processes too, which is fine. So we don't have to be too grabby about it or, you know, my way is the only way. No, we're going after these common pathways towards a prosperous life. You know, what ACT does is sort of target each of these six flexibility processes. Phrased positively, what it it teaches is acceptance skills, this kind of backing up and noticing our mind we call diffusion. That's a made-up word. The kind of mindfulness skills of being able to uh, notice that you're aware and being able to attend flexibly, fluidly, and voluntarily to the now. And then values and committed action. So if you simplify it, we're targeting being aware and open and actively engaged in life. And uh, turns out that's uh, helpful everywhere a human mind goes. It isn't right. just anxiety and depression. It's uh, dieting and exercise and stepping up to the challenges of physical disease. But it's not just that. It's your relationships, your business, You know whether or not you can uh, compete in, well in sports. I mean. The number of studies now is orders in the thousands, and the number of randomized trials in several hundred. And so we just, that's the story that's in the book as a 40 year science journey, my personal journey, but also just the here's how to learn these things and, and, yeah. and look around you and you see that in your family and in the modern world, these are skills that we need to be able to step into a, what is clearly a more challenging world with our constant exposure to pain and judgment in comparison with the computer that you have in your pocket. Sure. There's just so much coming at us all the time. Let's talk a little bit about your personal journey, because I know that you are on this journey with so many who suffer with anxiety and who have had panic attacks coming from your place of of your own experience and then your work. Obviously yeah. inspired and going right back to being that, that eight-year-old boy. I mean, that, that yeah. story and the story of the inner child and the work that we need to do there is, is also. I tell, tell that story in the TEDx uh, uh, talk. If you just Google it, you can find it. There's two TEDx talks I have. One is oh, kind okay. of fun and it's about diffusion skills. And one is a, was a little more challenging for me because I had to walk back into the worst of my uh, panic disorder and, and the moment where I hit bottom and turned in a new direction. And that turn, that pivot is in the title of the book. Of, right. And that's what, let, you know, let's talk about, let's talk about that pivot. So not spending so much time talking about the experience that led to the pivot, but so many who are listening in today are in desperate need and open and available for learning how to pivot. Yeah, and what the, the metaphor of pivot is to take what's inside, what's 
leading you in the wrong direction. You can feel it, that it's leading you there. Of course, you know when you're struggling with panic or something, you know that it's not workable. But you may not know what's underneath it. What are you really yearning for? And it's probably several things. I try to unpack them in, in the book. But mm-hmm. and for a pivot is to take the energy of what you really want, what's underneath that anxiety struggle, what's underneath that avoidance, what's underneath that entanglement, or, or putting life on hold, or the other things we do to get it in our way. And take that energy and put it in a new direction. I mean, if you're dancing with somebody, you know if they're not moving, it's pretty hard to dance with them. If they're moving, you can swing them around, you can put them in a new direction, but stand dead still, no. And people who are suffering are moving, they're just moving in the wrong direction. In a way, the there's a, a deep lesson inside our misery that puts us just a hair's width away from a different direction where life can open up. And sometimes hitting bottom is how you get there. And that's what happened to me with a, a panic disorder that gradually took away everything as a young professor of being unable even to give a lecture to f- five undergraduates. And I just couldn't make sound come out of my mouth. I got so anxious. The bottom was hit at uh, two in the morning, uh, sitting on a shag carpet, uh, thinking that I'm having a heart attack and have to call the ambulance. And the way you Uh, described that everything that was going through your mind, the whole screenplay of it, if you will, is what so many suffer with. That incredibly visual, incredibly, I mean, just so real. It's so real. What, what that, as you call the dictator within, yeah. where where that story goes, it just well and well and in the path. I mean, people who are listening who've struggled with this, they know there's something so strange about it, or, or otherworldly about it, and yet it has an internal logic to it that just draws you in, and you don't see any way out, and you struggle, and you fight, and you fight, and it's just walked me down with uh, this into this pit over three years to the point where I was more and more and more focused on anxiety you know by the end probably 95 percent of every waking day was focused on anxiety watching out seeing making sure i can escape making sure i'm close to you know the exit etc etc all the logical reasonable sensible and pathological things you do when you're Mm -hmm. in a life and death struggle with it you know in the tedx you see me hitting bottom and actually screaming out loud that weird sounding scream only mm-hmm. came out of my mouth three times once when I was caught in a machine in an aluminum factory that made aluminum foil they forgot I was deep inside this house size machine and they turned it on and I was oh my goodness be, and I was about to be chopped in half and they uh, uh, they heard me screaming and turned it off but um, the other one was in the bottom of my panic disorder and then the TEDx talk and I'm never going to do that scream again yeah uh, good <laughs> because and doing that TEDx was so hard because to revisit that place where yeah. you th- think there's no way out, you know, there, that you've lost everything, that life is over almost. And it's, it's just, um, it, like the suggestion of it, the, the going back and revisiting it almost feels like an invitation to bring it all back in, like to, to wash it over you and, and pull you out in, into the undertow. Oh, I know. I, well, before I went and did this TED talk, talk i got like a foot away from my wife looked her in the eyes and said i can't do this i just can't do it i can't do it and she said she's so sweet she said just be yourself and i just love how you just sat down yeah i thought that that was so incredibly powerful like it made 
I, I could see people just, you know, obviously not that they were there live, but the people watching after and just really, wow, this, that's so smart. Just sit down. Yeah. That's where yourself, I was. Tell your story. And uh, so thank you for the, for that. And, you know, you. Well, and you asked about, about what that pivot was. So, yes, so the pivot yes. is and what you, what you see was to realize you know, after the scream, the scream was, uh, you know, there's no way out. I'm, I'm, I'm doomed basically like being stuck inside that machine, you know, yeah, I'm just sure. up. I'm never, I, I, life is over. And I don't know how long it was, but I know it was a long time because when I stood up, my whole body was aching and I was a much younger man than I am now. Somewhere in there came a pivot, a turn, not of a way out, but as a way in. And I, it was as if uh, I became aware that there was this voice that had been telling me that I had to run and fight and hide in order to be able to live whole and free. And I'd been following that voice thinking it's my voice. It's my voice within. And yeah, it's my thoughts. And, but it's also things I've been told and the voice of criticisms from others and you know, we all have, I mean, even young children understand, you know, if you put Goofy on one shoulder and Goofy with horns on the other shoulder, you know, Goofy with a halo, Goofy with the horns, you know, four-year-olds understand that. We've got like these little arguments and battles and voices and not just one, several. And I had disappeared into that. When I had that moment of kind of waking up, I actually said out loud, I think, I know I, I mean, I actually hear the words so i think i said them out loud and what i said is i don't know who you are i'm talking to the voice within as if it's an outside thing i don't know who you are but apparently you can make me hurt and you can make me suffer but i tell you one thing you cannot do you can't make me turn from my own experience you can't do it wow and that my life is in a whole different direction. Yeah. And I know I'm talking to people right now who are suffering so much. And that turn is just, it's not going to come that way. But there are turns in here that if you're going in one direction and you turn, everything is different because now you, you see things differently. You're, you're, you're headed in a different direction. And that turn didn't take very much. I mean, that's it's just an instant away. Right. So what if, and in the, in the book, I walk through six turns, six pivots where people can take this energy, like the energy I think I was uh, pursuing there was, I need to be able to feel, but the only way I can do that is to feel the good stuff, not the bad stuff. So I have to get rid of this feeling so that I can feel at all. Mm. You know, what was I yearning to feel? Some of that unfolded later on when it turned out some of what I was yearning to feel was not just, good stuff and i tell the story of a couple years into the journey that that night on the carpet took me towards which is i'm going to walk towards a life worth living committed to you know never again i will not run from me Mm. and doing that one step at a time one step at a time and then discovering that I've been running from memories of domestic violence in my home and that I was just a little tyke, you know, with eight years old hiding under my bed, hearing my parents fight with my dad drunk and my 
mother who had OCD and was depressed and shrieking at him. And I'm hearing these horrible noises and I'm thinking there's going to be blood on the floor when I go out. And I remember again, this voice in my mind saying, I'm going to do something at age eight. And then realizing if I go out there, I might be hit. Yeah. And I just kind of pulled back under the bed and cried. The point is, that feeling is why I'm a psychologist. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to do something. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I had got it so I had got it so that the only way that I can feel is feeling the good stuff. That what, when you do that, you disconnect yourself from your own wisdom, from your own history, from your learning, from the mistakes. And not just that from what you really care about because you hurt where you care and you care where you hurt. And so and it's where you're most vulnerable. It's where you're most vulnerable, where you're most woundable. Those soft spots, that underbelly is where you care. And where we often feel like if we go there, we're weak. We're weak. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to be strong by not being fully who we are. Right. Explain to me how that's going to work. <laughs> so there was another pivot there. In that case, the pivot towards towards meaning, meaning by choice. When mm-hmm. when you know I'm going to do something about what about human suffering? Well, that means walking into places that are really painful for me. Yeah, I mean, even doing what we're doing right now, you know, I can feel tears are not very far away. If I wanted to go there, oh, me too. We would. <laughs> yeah, you can sense it. Oh, I'm with it, you. And that's um, not a bad thing, but you're no. Mind, you know, you know, <laughs> before we came together today, I was talking to Ananga uh, and I said, you know, I very well might cry. There is just something about his energy and his transparency. And some of our story is similar. I wasn't sure. There were times in your book I wasn't sure if I could keep reading. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, I'll, maybe I'll just skip over this part right now. <laughs> uh, that you know, that's right. Maybe I'll just. And then I thought, okay. And I went back to it. And then, of course, yeah, the break led me to your TEDx talk, and I'm like, oh, that's tricky. <laughs> you know, there it is. There he is, sitting yeah. on the stage, being so, in my mind, so brave and so transparent, and so I'm, I'm grateful. I've witnessed so much bravery inside this work. I mean, human beings. We're such magnificent creatures. I mean, we know how to suffer in ways that non-human animals don't, but we show such a ability to move forward. And so the revert, you know, we hurt where we care, we care where we hurt. Well, part of what that means is people who are suffering with anxiety, these kind of struggles, have actually learned things that are really important mm-hmm. and will connect them to others if they can learn how to make this pivot, make these turns. I mean, I'll give you an example. A thing I sometimes say to my clients is, okay, you want to remove anxiety, you want to remove it, you want to subtract it, you want to eliminate it. I say, okay, I'll do, I'll do this. I'll wave a magic wand, we'll 100% eliminate this. But here's the deal. You'll have no understanding of it. You'll have no memory of it. You'll have not be able to connect to it. And when your children or your spouse or somebody you love comes to you, and wants to talk to you about sadness or fear, you'll have no idea what they're mm. talking about. No, I'm- so here's my magic wand. You're going to ask me to wave it? Not a single person wants to make that deal. We want the deal in which 
we only get to feel what our mind says is good. Mm-hmm. But our mind is so stupid. It'll tell us that sad is bad. <laughs> right. yesterday, yesterday, we got a, an email that my sweet first secretary of my publishing company who became the nanny for my now 14-year-old son and raised him died after a long battle with illness in Sweden. This is my son's honorary grandmother. I mean, every Saturday for his 14, once once she moved away about 10 years ago, every Saturday they're having a conversation between the two of them about the things he's learning and stuff, et cetera. The three of us, you know, my wife and Stevie and I just hugged each other and cried. And then we told, told stories about the sweet things that she's done and the honorable things she's done and what we'll most miss about her. And it doesn't come in the way your mind says it should come. Your right. mind says treacle is a good thing. It says a smiley face button slapped permanently on your face is a good thing. It's a freaking lie. It is a lie. And people who suffer, the people who are listening to me right now who are suffering, I hope if you look at that, Ted, you'll know I've been there. You are the, the chosen ones. You're the lucky ones who have an opportunity to see the delusions that your mind produces that tells us that not feeling is a good thing. Subtracting feelings is a good thing. That you should just hold your breath and walk through life. That message is killing people. It's crushing people. It's crushing the souls of people. It is. And we see it around us. I mean, our young people are more anxious, more distressed. And it's not just self-report. There's more suicides. So we have to figure out a way to be able to walk in a world where, yes, we know there's pain happening in the world. Now you can see it in the computer in your pocket. Yes, we can hear all these judgments and comparisons. You can see the gold-plated toilet seats of the billionaires if you're struggling to not have enough money. That's true. And we've got to bring modern minds into that modern world where we get to be whole human beings who can feel and care and love and commit and create habits that serve us, that honor uh, the life trajectories that we're on and the people who have loved us to help us lift us up. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for going on a rant. No, but it- no, I'm glad you are because one of the things that Ananga and I uh, struggle with a lot in, after 10 years of, of producing Anxiety Slayer, and now we have a private Facebook group, and one of the things that comes up over and over and over is the interest in numbing what's going on. Yeah. The interest in talking about, hey, have you taken this medicine or that medicine or this medicine or that medicine, and how does it affect you, and da-da-da-da-da. And we finally just got back into the group and said, you know, these posts are not going to remain. This is everybody's chemistry is different. Everybody's story is different. Everybody, you know, this isn't a place to be, how do we numb it out and what meds do we take? And we don't have any business making those recommendations based on our backgrounds. And we haven't gone to school sure. for that. And, and, and frankly, we, that's not, our goal is more holistically facing well, and being with, and then, and letting you, letting people yeah. like you <laughs> help these folks no, make those I mean, decisions. I've, I've been on the tranquilizers. I've, you know, taken the beta blockers. I've done, and there's a role for medications. There is a sure. role. 
it's much more limited than we've turned it loose on the world. I mean, one out of four women last year in the United States were on antidepressants. And if you look at the data, and I'm a science guy, that is vastly, by orders of magnitude, way beyond anything that's sensible. I mean, you go out and fish in the streams and you catch fish, you're con- consuming uh, psychoactive medications that are in the rivers. I mean, something's wrong. No doubt. And just look at the proof of the pudding. When you take that biomedicalization of human suffering and you say, if you're suffering anxiety or sadness, you've got a disease. No, there are no proven psychiatric diseases that have emerged from these syndromes. Even the NIMH no longer wants to fund, fund studies focused on that. Ten years ago, they made a turn and they said, no more. We're not doing big randomized trials focused on DSM syndromes, which are all the labels that you walk around with, by the way. Sure, they're sure. ICD or DSM labels. And what they're trying to dig down to are processes of change. Now, they've made a big bet that they're brain processes. I'd make a different bet. But in the book, I'll walk you through all of that. I mean, right. if you care about a kind of a the science side, it's in there, but not in a way that distracts from this more human issue, which is, look, if you look at what we're doing, we're using medications that produce the happy numb, except numb's not happy. No, it's not. The happy numb is being able to slog through, and numbing down, down is not, yeah, I get it, and, and, and as a with the right rationale and with limited course so that your body doesn't react to it. That's the other part. You know, your body reacts to this. You're, I'll give you an example. There's mouse models with, if you start hitting mice, let's say, with uh, opiates, boom, boom, boom. Do you know the mice are now more sensitive to pain mm-hmm. once the opiates go away? Because, of course, what the body does is it says, basically, whoa, something's way out of whack. I got way too much more of this. I think I'll push in this other direction to keep homeostasis. You know, it's not logical. I'm just giving voice to primitive processes that are, you know, half a billion years old. You know, we learned how to feel and remember half a billion years ago during the Cambrian period. All organisms that evolved then are able to, for example, react to pain based on conditioning. Every single one of them, but not before. Jellyfish, no. Snakes, yes. That's there for a reason. <laughs> You've got right. feelers in the tips of your fingers. And yeah, you could, you could do something that would eliminate the feeling in your hands, but they're more likely to be injured. And oh, by the way, if you try to do anything that requires fine motor movement, you can't do it. And you easily could put your hand in something's like a fire or something. I mean, people have leprosy do that. They actually put their hands in fires and not know it because the necrotic process eliminates feeling in their fingers. Next thing you know, they don't have fingers. And metaphorically, this is our model of health. We're climbing into this cultural model that if I don't feel anxious, that's good. No, it's not good. You need anxiety. Is there any emotion you can think of, any emotion that you don't pay good money to produce? You buy the books, you go to the movies, you buy the songs, you ride the roller coasters. Well, what the heck are we doing trying to create a place where numb is our model of health? As a panic disorder person, I get, you know, it'd be like, you know, if somebody said sound is good, I say, yes. Okay, put the speaker right next to the microphone and it 
and have a mm. feedback to reach. No, thank you. No, thank you. I get that. And panic is like that. But let me just ask, where did the amplifier come from? And the amplifier, I think, is very often your conscious, deliberate, purposeful attempts to control it. This is a new thing. This is only 200,000 to 2 million years old. You know, dogs and cats don't know how to do that. You and I know how to do that because we can take what you and I are doing right now, symbolic thinking, which allows us to problem solve. And we can turn our own emotional and cognitive life into a problem to be solved. Take our own body and make it the enemy. How are you going to solve that problem when your history is going to go with you? There's no delete button in the nervous system. I, I will never, ever, short of brain injury, forget those fights between my mom and dad, who, by the way, were very loving people. I mean, don't be judging them. They just didn't know how to get out of their own way and their alcoholism and anxiety disorders and depression and all of that. But that's not going to leave my head. It has no place else to go. No, it doesn't leave. If you have a panic disorder, guess what's going to, where your memories of those panic attacks are going to go? They're going to go with you. So what are you going to do with that? Well, how about learning? How about learning from them and carrying them with you with the way you might carry something that's precious? Mm-hmm. Because within that is are deep lessons, or wisdom, or avenues forward, or pivots towards a life worth living. So, yeah, the acceptance and the sweetness and the, the knowing that, that as hard as that was, as, as much as that was so frightening, that you can carry it with you in a very loving way. In a loving way, in a kind way. In a very loving way. I mean, you you say, you know, love isn't everything. It's the only thing. Because I really think that's true. Standing with yourself in a loving way. I know some people might hear this as kind of finger wagging. Oh, how do you do that? Well, that's why you need to read and seek out. and, And of course, therapy can help. But I try to you know, do this. And it's not just my book. I mean, there, there's lots of things out there from ACT and the things that are allied. But you use the word acceptance for the first time in this conversation. It's the first word in the name of the things that I do. And just to show the difference, most people listening have had somebody say, oh, you just have to accept it. Mm-hmm. They've had acceptance thrown at them as an almost an epithet. And that kind of critical mind part is the same part that tells you you have to run or fight or hide or numb out. Mm-hmm. And the kind of acceptance we're talking about would be if you had a gift that was really precious to you, maybe something you had created, and you went to a friend and you, you, you know, made this with your own hands, and you took the gift out and passed it over to your friend, you might say, here, would you accept this? Mm. You're not mean, will you tolerate that? Will you, will you resign yourself to my gift? Can you give up <laughs> a gift? Right. You don't mean that. You mean, will you willingly take this gift? You know, maybe it's just a little thing that I made, but I, it's a sign of something and it carries something. Well, it's the same way. When, when life gives you, let's say, a panic attack, inside there are really important things. When it gives you memories of abuse, inside there are really important things. And life's asking, here, would you accept this? And yeah, it's not what you would draw up because the mind will say, we need sugar soup. But 
the wiser part of you, if I tell ask you, what are the things you most remember that most moved you in your life? I bet you there are sad or anxious or emotionally difficult things on that list. I bet you. Right. It without, que- without question. Yeah. Without question. And, so and, why are and we often, and often, and often they are what make us um, even, even more brilliant and beautiful and courageous and incredibly supportive and helpful to others by acknowledging that, by knowing that, by accepting it, owning it. It softens you. It does. It connects you to being human. It connects you to others because they're also on this same journey. They don't have the, you know, the Mr. Clean magic eraser that's going to eliminate pain. They don't have the little delete button in their own nervous system. And so it isn't just you. It's the people you love. You're not going to be able to be with them if you know nothing about these things that are mine can tell us are difficult. You know, I get, I don't want to have a feedback screech, but maybe I could disconnect the amplifier and what the, what the, and then I can have the sound as it is. And sometimes it's pretty loud. I mean, if I've had something happen, you know, like that email yesterday was pretty loud saying that my, you know, my sweet Ingi at age 80 had died. That was a painful one. But Loud doesn't mean bad. We listen to loud music too. Shrieks, no. Okay, I get it. But you can take a panic attack and you can turn it into a number 10 anxiety attack simply by pulling out the part that says, I can't have this, which you can learn how to do. Book walks through how to do it. And when you've done that, you have a number 10 anxiety attack, but it's not shrieking, it's just loud. Part of you that says, I can't. You know, the part of me that took me down to the point where I'm on the floor at 2 and 30 in the morning is the part that artificially amplifies this thing up and the emotions that we didn't evolve to have. We didn't evolve for panic attacks that incapacitate us. Right. I mean, why, why would that happen? It's only because we have this clash between a system that's new, what you and I are doing right now, and these ancient systems that are a thousand times older. And boom, in that clash, you know, a lot of things happen. So you learn, you need to learn to put the dictator within on a leash to be able to use problem solving when you have problems to solve, not as a tool to turn your own life into a problem to be solved and you can't live until it's solved. You got to be wiser than that. And I think it's why, you know, mindfulness work is everywhere now. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows we need something and we're searching out in our wisdom traditions, our spiritual traditions. But Let's not forget the science traditions. The, right. what's well, and I love how you, you commingle them in your book. Um, it's, yeah. it's a fantastic book. I mean, for, for all of our listeners, I really recommend that you check out A Liberated Mind, How to Pivot Toward What Matters. You can get it wherever books are sold. It's, it's really fantastic. And it's going to help you so much. And some of it is going to be a little bit tough, and that's okay. you know it just is Um, before we leave today I would like to close with the poem from the last page of a liberating oh how marvelous what a great idea this poem is Hold Out Your Hand by Julia Fehrenbacher let's forget the world for a while fall back and back into the hush and holy of now 
Are you listening? This breath invites you to write the first word of your new story. Your new story begins with this. You matter. You are needed. Empty and naked, willing to say yes and yes and yes. Do you see the sun shines day after day, whether you have faith or not? The sparrows continue to sing their song, even when you forget to sing yours. Stop asking, am I good enough? Ask only, am I showing up with love? Life is not a straight line. It's a downpour of gifts. Please, hold out your hand. Isn't that marvelous? So marvelous. So marvelous. So much so that that I'm copying and pasting and printing and putting it on my wall, Stephen. It's just awesome. So beautiful. She has a very nice little volume of poems, and I have in the book of the link as to how to go get them. She actually let me put that poem in for free. I mean, I I actually kind of her book came out. I I sent sent her a a, you know acknowledgement that included some money, but you know she is very very sweet uh, person and a marvelous marvelous way to end the book, I think, and to end end our conversation. Thanks for having the wisdom to do it that way. Oh, absolutely. And thank you so much for your time, for your book, for this conversation. I know that uh, our listeners are going to be very grateful. That was Stephen C. Hayes, professor of psychology, prolific writer, and author of A Liberated Mind, How to Pivot Toward What Matters. You can get a copy of his new book wherever books are sold.